Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. All right, today we're going to wrap up our series called Life Giving Habits. There's a dad. He walked his kids to the bus stop. It was Monday morning, and one of the kids was super excited to go back to school. The other kid, however, though, had already had a huge meltdown. As the dad watched the bus drive away, he could see the two faces of his two greatest treasures in life pull away. And at that moment, he got emotionally flooded because all he could think about was a bus wreck. All he could think about were bullies at school that would torment his kids. All he could think about was violence that erupts on school campuses. All he could think about was, there's got to be a teacher there that's going to corrupt my kids' minds, (laughs) right? And for the next two hours, that conversation and those images that weren't even real were flooding his mind. Uh, There was a woman, she was in a She was in a coffee house, sipping her coffee, working on her laptop. She's working remotely, preparing for a meeting she would have later that day with her boss. And as she's typing away, the people around her start getting loud, and the coffee house is filling with people. And she notices that as she goes to type, she can't type because her hands are shaking. And she feels unsafe, so she closes her laptop. She leaves that place, calls her boss and calls in sick and cancels the meeting that day. What was the dad at the bus stop experiencing? It was the same thing that that woman in the coffee shop was experiencing. Both were experiencing anxiety. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this, um, this toxic emotion of anxiety that leads to toxic habits. And let me be, I'm going to keep it super simple today, all right? What's anxiety? Anxiety is this. It's the fear of the what if. Well, what if that bus crashes? What if there's bullies on campus? What if there's violence? I mean, what if my boss wants to demote me, wants to fire me? What if the people in the coffee shop aren't safe? And it's never the what if of a good scenario, Right? It always goes to the worst case scenario. What if the market collapses? What if I fail? What if people in this room want to hurt me? What if my boss wants to fire me? I mean, the what ifs, they're actually a form of fortune telling. You're predicting your future and it's never actually good. Now, here's what I think is interesting. Our world actually wants us to be anxious. Think about this for a minute. Without anxiety, why would you ever purchase their products? Think about this for a minute. Marketing is designed to speak to your anxiety. Their product will relieve your anxiety. And if you look at this, the concept is if you would, their product will keep you safe. Their product will help you look good, be liked, gain respect, be fit, appear better than we feel on the inside. We need their product to medicate us up or numb us out. It goes everything from clothing to medication, right? to the car that you drive. If they can create anxiety around us, this is the safest car you can drive. All marketing is is appealing to our basic instincts. 
but it's this fear about what if this happens. So today we're going to wrap up this series called Life-Giving Habits. Can I just tell you real honestly, personally, what drove this for me? It was watching all of us in COVID. It was watching the anxiety that this produced in us. And it wasn't just COVID, it was racial tensions, it was political infighting. And I watched the toxic emotion of anxiety well up in people and toxic emotions lead to toxic behaviors. And I was like, no, 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 we've got to get this right as God's people. In the midst of this, let me, um, let me give you a couple promises about what the, the next year will hold for us. Here it is. Next year will hold war, Violence, instability in the marketplace, and an election that will threaten to divide God's church unnecessarily. That's everything we have for the year to come. Woo, don't you feel better? So we got to get this right. What are we going to do with our anxiety? So we've talked about this for for weeks now. This is actually our ninth week in the series. I rarely do like a nine-week series, but I've been sitting in this, and it culminates in this, and I want you to hear this more than anything else, because the scriptures in two places use this word anxiety and says this, no more, stop it, don't do it. You got to get rid of your anxiety. So because of that, we're going to look at these two scriptures today about quieting anxiety. And by the time you leave, you're going to hear three points. Super simple. They're not complicated. You will actually memorize them before you leave today. But just so that you have something to help you remember, grab your notes. I want you to see them. If you, you can either turn to Philippians or you can turn, um, you can turn, there's another scripture in your outline right there. You, you can look at that as well. Um, hold that open so that you can remember this. And take a look in your Bibles. And before I do this, I want to give you a disclaimer. The first is this. Um, I know this about anxiety. Some people have anxiety to such the degree. Let me pause. Some of you have a little bit of anxiety. Some of you have triggers where it creates a lot of anxiety. And there's some of you that you deal with extreme anxiety, and maybe you've been dealing with it for all your life. Some of you, you deal with anxiety and you get medication for it and you seek professional help for it, can I just say, that's okay. Here's what I want to say about today. Let's take the shame off that. Let's take the shame off of every single level of anxiety because you're not weird, you're normal. Welcome to the club. We all have anxiety. If you don't, I think you're weird, all right? Every single one of us has it. Listen, there's moments where people use medication and psychological help so that they can actually take these biblical principles that we're going to talk about and apply them to their lives. Sometimes their mind and their emotions are spinning so fast, they need that to settle them just enough, not so they could ignore these biblical principles, but so that they can apply them. And I'm going to say this, you can't use a medication or professional psychological help as a substitute for God's word. It goes alongside God's word if you need that. So, Let's disarm the shame, anxiety. Welcome to the club. We all have it. And everybody who has some anxiety to some degree, say amen. So let's quiet the anxiety. Here's the scriptures, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Not some of it, all of it. Get rid of it, cast it, throw it, push it aside, get rid of it, toss it towards God. He wants it. He's like, you can offload it. You don't have to keep it. Philippians, by the way, these two scriptures, they say the exact same things. Three points, that's it. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety, kick it to the curb, none of it. Don't be anxious about anything in your life. But you don't know there's some big things in my life, nothing. 
Don't be, don't be anxious. Stop it. Now, isn't that awesome? You don't have to have it. Get rid of it. Stop it. Let's go home. Wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? Just quick personal story. Um, last week, my wife was telling me a story about my daughter who was coaching a soccer game and the ref came up to her and said, you need to sit down. There's other men coaches on the sidelines. She was acting as the head coach of the university that she is coaching for right now. And she was told to sit down. And then this referee goes, starts screaming in the faces of these players. I wasn't there. I never talked to my daughter about it. My wife tells me the story. And for the next two hours, I got triggered. I got so emotionally flooded. I had to walk the dog. And as I walked the neighborhood, I'm just talking out loud to myself because in my head, I was creating scenarios of like, oh, if I was there, man, I would have stood up and I'd have said this and this and this. And in my mind, I was ripping my shirt off, ready to go after this ref. And I was like, wait, 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 Pastor Scott, that's probably going to end you up in jail. I wasn't even there. I literally had to talk myself off the ledge of This isn't real. Like your anxiety to protect your daughter might sound noble, but it's actually ridiculous and keeping you in bondage. But I just couldn't stop the scenario in my head. So you know what I had to do? I actually had to go to the scriptures and I needed to talk this out with God. And I'm going to tell you the three things I had to do. I had to get my mind right. And then I had to get my habits right. And then I had to get my expectations right. That's all you have to remember today. You got to get your mind right. You got to get your habits right. And you got to get your expectations right. So this is what we're going to talk about because the scripture doesn't stop there. They just say anxiety. You don't have to have it. But luckily he, he goes on and he says this, this is how you do it. Number one, get your mind right. Say, get your mind right. Okay. Simple, right? It's not complicated. Here's what he says. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Here's the first thing you tell yourself. God loves me. Whatever situation you're feeling, if you're going to get your mind right, it has to start with this. God loves you enough. He doesn't want you to have anxiety. He doesn't want you to be locked up with it. Then he writes this, be alert and of sober mind. When I heard about Courtney's situation, it's almost like my mind was drunk with the situation. Don't worry, I wasn't drinking, okay? But my mind was so flooded, I wasn't thinking clearly. I was overcome with the emotions that were not healthy. So he's saying this, get your mind right. Think clearly, don't be naive, don't be fooled. And then he gives us this truth. Listen to verse eight. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. If you're going to get your mind right, you have to know these two things as well. There's a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your mind and you have an enemy and he's a liar. You got to know those things. So when you get flooded, you get triggered and anxiety is there. Remember this, there's a battle going on for your mind and the enemy who is against you, he's a liar. The very opening chapters of scripture, God creates a man or woman, he puts them together. And he gives them this blessing. All of this garden is yours. I mean, just enjoy. There's peace. There's no violence. There's no even thorns to step on. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. He says, by the way, in the middle of the garden, there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. Don't eat it. Don't look at it. Just stay away from it. But everything else, man, you could have. In the midst of that blessing, um, 
the liar is there, the devil is there, and I want you to hear the conversation between the woman and the devil. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat any, from any tree in the garden? Now, it's interesting. He's not lying to her. He's just raising a question so that it'll create a doubt in her mind about what God said, about his boundaries, about his rules. Um, I think our, our anxiety will rise when we been, begin to question two things. Number one is this. Is God powerful enough to help us? Is God's power bigger than the situations that I'm facing right now? The second thing that we doubt is this. Does God actually love me? I know God loves people, right? For God so loved the world, like he loves people. But, but does he love me enough to step into my world to calm and quiet the anxiety that I'm, that I'm experiencing? All of our anxieties, I think, boil down to these two things. It's this doubt that Satan was trying to put in Eve's head of, does God really love you? And is he powerful enough to help you? The conversation goes on. The woman, she responds so well. The woman said to the servant, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. She just counters with truth. There's the truth. Satan, instead of like questioning this, he just comes and starts lying. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good from evil. He lies. He says something different than what God already told her. He essentially says this. You know what the problem is? God's lying to you. You're actually missing out on a life that God has for you. The good life, the best life, it's actually, it's outside of the parameters that God gave you. There's something else out there for you. Listen, the relationships that God spells out in the scriptures about a man and a woman together forever, like that kind of intimacy. Listen, you're missing out on a whole world out there. Because you believed God's boundaries were this. Hey, listen, stay pure before marriage. Hey, marry marry that person and stay faithful to them. Oh, no, no, you're missing out. Satan lies to you. You're missing out on a whole world out there that God has for you. And he lies to Eve and he says, you're, did God really say that? No, you're missing out. Jesus is later going to clarify the devil's intentions and his practices. Here's what he says in John 10, 10. He says, there's a thief and the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's not just a liar. He's there to steal from you, kill you, destroy you. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Do you believe that Jesus, the life he directs us to in the scriptures, that this is the best life for us? It's the life that we actually crave, the one that is good for us, where we experience joy and peace then why would we step outside of his his bounds? Now, for the dad at the bus stop, Satan wants to steal his joy. He wants to steal his kids' hearts. He wants that dad to overreact and then come upon his kids and be a helicopter parent so that one day that he thinks he's protecting them, but he's so overly protective that they're going to respond and react and rebel. Satan would love that. Satan wants to kill that dad's confidence in God. Satan wants to destroy those kids' hearts so that it will ruin their faith in God. He has an enemy, and he's a liar for the woman in the coffee shop. Satan Satan wants to steal her future, kill her confidence, destroy her ability to have real relationships and a productive future. 
And then Jesus, he clarifies this statement. He has a conversation with these uber-religious guys, and he's like, no, 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 you are, you are not on God's side. He says this, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He's a liar and the father of lies. There's a battle for your mind, and you have an enemy who's a liar. When you have anxiety, question, do you know what the lie is that you're believing? Would you do this right now? I mean, I, I would invite you to do this. I'm not going to push hard. You know what your anxiety is. You know what your triggers are. It's when you get emotionally flooded. Your mind doesn't think rationally. You're not thinking about God. Your emotions are toxic. Leads to toxic behaviors. Right now, could you do this? Could you write something down for me? What's the lie? What's the lie that you're believing? I'm unsafe. I'm unlovable. I'm not enough. No one loves me. I mean, what's the lie? I can tell you're engaged with me right now, but um, I, I really want this for you to be able to figure out the what lie is so that you can replace it with a truth. Philippians 4, the other scripture we're going to look at says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, here's what you can do. Ready? Think about them. <laughs> He just says, think about such things. For the woman at the coffee shop whose anxiety was overwhelming her, she can stop and she needs to talk to herself in that moment about what is true. What is true? I have a meeting with my boss today. That's what's true. I have no evidence that anyone in this coffee shop actually wants to, hire, to, to hurt me. I actually don't even have any evidence that my boss wants to fire me. The truth is, I'm believing the lie. That's just my insecurity rising up. The truth is I'm actually competent at my job. In this coffee shop are good people who are not trying to harm me. Maybe instead of being afraid of people, maybe God's invitation is for me to be an encourager of people. Whatever thoughts are noble, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, Focus on those. Think about them. You got to get your mind right. So question, what's the lie? And what's the truth? Because I think this point is important that the truth will set us free. Your emotions, whether you know it or not, follow what you believe. Your toxic emotions reveal what you believe. First, what you believe about God, what you believe about you, and what you believe about your situation. So I tried this in our community group last week. Um, there's this psalm, and it begins with all these thoughts about who God is and praising God for who he is and what he's done, and it ends with all this praise about who God is and what he's done. Yet in the middle, there's this, this story of chaos. So I just asked him, tell me about the chaos in your life. What is it? I didn't use the word anxiety. I just used the word chaos. What's the chaos in your life? Because chaos can breed anxiety. And then I asked him this. So what is the truth of God that you're doubting that you need to believe to quiet the chaos? Pause for just a minute. What do you need to believe about God? God is, and I left just a dot, dot, dot after that statement in your notes. And if you, if I hope you got a pen or a pencil and you can write this down, that God is, I know you're waiting for an answer from me, but I can't give you my answer. You have to have your own answer to this. What is the truth about God? that will quiet the anxiety in your life. 
for the dad at the bus stop. God loves my kids. God has a future for my kids. Let's get theological. God is sovereign over our world. It doesn't mean that evil doesn't happen. But God, in all of his goodness, he is sovereign. He is all all powerful. That even if bad stuff happens, God is going to be with me in the midst of it to help me cope and deal. God is with us. God's grace is enough to help us when bad things happen. But even in that, like God is good. Here's another truth. God is stronger than anything that I'm going to face. So that's my truth about God. Did you write anything down? What is the truth about God? God is intimately involved in my life. It leads to this. Then what's true about you? If that's who God is and always has to start with him, then what's true about you? I'm loved by God. The woman at the coffee shop could have said, no, no, no. I'm I'm actually loved by God. And I'm going to be empowered by God. I just need to ask for that. I'm called by God not to be driven by fear. So I will not be driven by fear. So today I will stand up and be courageous and face my fears. I'm strong because if I ask God, he says he will give me the wisdom I need. He'll give me the strength I need. He'll give me what it is I need. I have God with me. The scripture says I can approach God's throne of grace with confidence to ask him for what I need in those moments. So question, what do you need to write down where it says I am dot, dot, dot? Because of who God is, who are you? And think about it specifically in the context of the thing that drives your anxiety, which means this. There's a third truth there that says this. The situation is, what would you write? The situation is not beyond God's reach. What's what's true about the situation? For for me, as I walked the neighborhood with my dog, (laughs) I had to tell myself the truth about the situation. Scott, you weren't even there. Scott, nothing happened. Scott, your daughter's safe. Scott, you taught her how to fight. Go for the eyes. Ugh, like, she'll be fine. I'm joking. Kind of. I did teach her how to fight. So what's true about the situation in your life, about your anxiety? Oh, don't have enough money. Mm. Read Matthew 5 through 7 about how God takes care of the birds of the air, and aren't you much more valuable than they? What's true about our situation? It might be stressful. It might be difficult. And then I want you to answer this question. Because when we have anxiety, we're always asking, what's the worst thing that can happen? I want you to flip it around. In your anxiety, here's what I want you to ask. What's the best thing that can happen? The woman in the coffee shop, she's sitting there. She's like, I got to cancel the meeting. What's the best thing that can happen? I could actually walk out of this coffee shop and go prepare in a peaceful place because that's kind of what my personality needs right now. And the best thing that can happen is I'm going to go to my boss and give this killer presentation. He's going to like be so awed by it. He's going to give me a raise. That's the best thing that can happen. Oh, wait a minute. That's not even the best thing that can happen. He's going to admire my work. Man, what is it about you that makes you so different than everybody else? And I'm going to tell him about Jesus. I'm going to bring him to church. He's going to come to church. He's going to accept Christ. That's the best thing that can happen. You see what I'm saying? Create in your mind. If you want to like let your mind spiral out of control, let's spiral on the things that are going to be amazing. They may never happen. But watch your hope rise 
when you start asking the question, what's the best thing that can happen? So both Peter and Paul in these scriptures, they agree on how we quiet our anxiety. And the first one is, you gotta get your, awesome, three of you know it. You gotta get your, your mind right. The second is you gotta get your habits right. And I will say, I don't think these are necessarily in order. Some anxiety is corrected by how you think. If you're a psychology fan, cognitive behavioral therapy runs this direction. But some anxieties are actually corrected by your behaviors. I'm going to say this. Um, Peter writes this. It says, resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Whatever toxic behavior is about to be done because of the lies in your head, stop. Don't respond to it. And if you can get your mind right, you've got to get your habits right because what follows toxic emotions is toxic behavior. Paul writes it this way. But in every situation, by prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse nine says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. What are the habits Paul's talking about? Here's a couple of them real quick. First of all, it's about prayer. In every situation, I want you to do this. I want you to pray. And and I know that sounds cheap, right? Like, if you have anxiety, you should just pray. What if this actually works? And what if it's actually true? Because you've heard me talk about prayer, right? When we talk about prayer, we want to praise God for who he is and what he's done. Who is he? Talk about his qualities. What has he done for you in your past? When you pray that way, you're reminded that he's been faithful to you. You're you're reminding yourself that he's bigger than the situation you're facing with your anxiety. It reminds us he's powerful, faithful, loving, and good towards us. And when we pray that way, it changes our thinking. See, our habits sometimes adjust our thinking. He says this, petition, ask him for what you need. Do you need peace, wisdom, strength, words to have a conversation? Ask him for that. And then you turn around, it just says, with thanksgiving, So give God thanks for all the things he's done in your life. And you realize, you know what? God has already seen me through so much. Why would he not see me through the rest of my life? Then Paul gives this overgeneralized statement. It says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Essentially, he's saying this. Hey, listen, y'all have watched my life. I have people trying to kill me. It raises a little anxiety in my life. All the things you've seen me do, do it like I did it. He's saying I've successfully learned to be content in all of my situations. And so because of that, I think this is the reminder that we need each other. Because when I look at some of you, I'm like, wow, they went through that with a lot of grace and dignity. They didn't let their anxiety control them. I want to be more like them. I think that's why God gives us each other. So that we can look at our behaviors and go, I want to be more like him. I want to be more like her. Ask yourself, I, I love how he says, you got to think about what's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. But what if you ask yourself this, this question? In my anxiety, what's the right thing to do? What's the noble thing to do? What's the lovely thing to do? What's the admirable thing to do? What's the excellent or praiseworthy thing to do? And if that answers your question, then just go do it. Fear or no fear. Just habit yourself there. Get your habits right. Now, I'm going to say this real quick. There's some of you, you're like, listen, I'm not anxious. I'm just prepared. I love you. 
I love you because I'm one of those. And by the way, you know the prepared people, right? You know the prepared people because what they have in their car. They got blankets, water, wipes, duct tape, pocket knife, pepper spray. I mean, and we're not anxious. We're just prepared for anything. Question, can you honestly prepare for things in your life, whether it be a work meeting, a long trip, a conversation with your kids or a conversation with your parents? Can you prepare without anxiety? It's not wrong to prepare, but there's moments where anxiety puts fear within us and God says this, get rid of it, cast it to him. He wants it. It's not for you to carry. Get your mind right, get your habits right. And here's the last thing. You got to get your expectations right. Here's how Peter ends this. And the God of all grace, not some grace, not a little bit of power, but the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, He will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Notice this, that there is suffering. If you think about this, I mean, Peter's writing this to a first century church where people were dying for their faith. They're oppressed by the Roman government. He's not saying the catastrophic things don't happen, but those things don't control us. But after that, God will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. Let me tell you how Paul wraps up Philippians. This chapter, it says, and the God of peace, the God of calm, the God of all goodness, the God of peace will be with you. The God of all grace means his favor, his power, and his strength is with you. Here's what we need to do. Receive it. Accept it. Understand that we are in the midst of it, that we can walk into it. I think you should pray it into your family, that the dad at the bus stop, when those kids come home, that that night he is like praying God's grace and standing in it and not allowing fear to dictate his emotions. Then in that place, he's going to model it to his kids. I think we need to embrace the confidence so much that we can walk into any situation, listen to this, with kindness and compassion for people because you aren't worried about you, you're available to them. 2024, I don't care if it's war. It doesn't matter if it's marketplace upset. And it certainly doesn't matter an election that should rock this church. Because we don't celebrate the elephant or the donkey, we celebrate the Lamb of God. And He's sovereign over all of that. And his peace should rule and should reign in you and in the relationships in this room. And Paul writes this, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power and it gives us love and self-discipline. If you're operating from fear or anxiety, stop. If you want to stop, you got to get your mind right. And you got to get your habits right. And you got to change your expectations that God is going to do something in you and give you his peace and his grace and his wisdom and his power. Let me, let me just wrap this up. Get your mind right, get your habits right, get your expectations right. Here's just the last thing I want you to walk away with. I want you to remember that you will reap what you sow and you will reap after you sow. 
Listen to this verse. A man reaps what he sows. You will get whatever you plant. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary. Don't let anxiety wear you out. Let us not become weary in doing good for the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you cultivate life-giving habits, you will find life. If you cultivate toxic habits, you will find toxic relationships and brokenness in your life. I'm going to show you a picture of this man right here. Do you know this man? Have you seen this picture before? His name is Jadav Payang. When he was a teenager, his parents moved to this island in India known as Maluku Island. The land had been destroyed by the overforestation harvesting of the trees. And then a storm came and just eroded the soil. And in 1979, at the age of 16, Jadav began planting these sapling trees on his island. This thing was decimated. There was no life there. But he believed this. If every day, if I plant one tree or several trees on this island, I'm going to change the landscape of this world. That was 40 years ago. And this one man, by the daily habit of planting trees, he has reforested 1,360 football fields of land. His island no longer looks desolate. That's what his island looks like. And the birds have returned and the animals have returned. And it's a healthy, vibrant place because of the life-giving habits. His goal is this. By the time his lifetime is over, he wants to have rehabilitated, rejuvenated 5,000 acres to reforest it. When we get our minds right, when we get our habits right, when we get our expectations right, listen, those are life-giving habits that you are sowing daily into your life, into your family's life. And when you do that, it will reap a harvest one day. That'll be beautiful. Be beautiful for you and beautiful for your family. And and I want to say this because none of this is possible outside of Christ. And for some of you, you're coming, you're like, what is this life about? Like life-giving habits. I will tell you this, these habits outside of living a relationship with Jesus will not work because it's his power that has to live in you. So can I say this? Some of you are not Christians yet. You're not a follower of Jesus yet. Why not? What are you waiting for? He died on a cross claiming that he would rise again three days later. But he also promised this. When I die on that cross, I die for your sins. You can be forgiven, which gives us an eternity with God, a presence with him today that he's in our life and an eternity with him. He can change how you live today so that you can experience real life. And there's a liar in your life who's trying to convince you he's not real and he's not true. There's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is for any other historical event in the history of the world. That's fact. That ain't fiction. I just wanted to know, maybe some of you, you need to accept Christ in your life today. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. Forgive me. I'm going to turn my life over to you. Direct me. Help me to learn those principles in your word that are guiding my life that will give me real and true life. And if you want that, ask that for him, from him today. Let's bow our heads and pray. If you're in this room and you know you need to give your life to Christ, I would just invite you to do that. Become a Christian today. That you accept 
him, his forgiveness, what he did on the cross for you. Total payment for your sins. You're forgiven today and every day moving forward. He wants a relationship with you. And so ask him for that right now. God, I pray for those in this room that are crossing that line of faith right now that you would help them, God. I pray for those in this room who have anxiety that is so real. God, would you help them to get their heads right? Lord, to get their habits right. And would you raise their expectations that you're going to show up in their life and show off? I pray this next year that we are a people of peace and not a people of anxiety. And if you want that and you're with me in it, would you all say amen?